Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And good morning, gardening friends. We have Andrea Whiteley in the studio with us filling in for Faye today, who's got a cold. Shame. Poor Faye. It is a shame. Poor Faye. But it's my good luck. I'm here with you. It's amazing because you've not long got off the plane, and we will talk about that in just a moment. And also, Bev Daring's not long off a plane. She has returned. Yay. So when you call in today, you will be chatting with our Bev Daring. John Glidden is more than ready to handle your quirly questions, so suck it to him, I say. And a big shout out to our Chris Bartlett for the breakfast music inspo this morning. And Chris was assisted by the very capable Yvonne Hill. Now, our phone number, 94841927. And you can email us your questions too, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Not to forget our cycling DJ, Jim Crinan. He wrapped up the brekkie show with his cycling report. And Jim will return at 10am this morning with the classic 70s, something to look forward to as well. It is lovely to see you. You're hot off a plane. Tell us all about it. Thank you. Literally. I have to live through you. <laughs> oh, one thing one thing I want to do just before yeah. we start. Let's Talk Gardening is sponsored by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery when buying six bags or more. Search Garden in a Bag. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, well, good time to put some compost in the garden, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. Right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great time yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah. So, fresh off the plane um, via Singapore, which was very hot and steamy, mm-hmm. um, I've been to the USA. I've been visiting um, Seattle and Minneapolis. How beautiful. Uh, now, what was the weather like where you were? Very, very warm. So really? It okay. was so nice to get some warm, warm warmth on my bones, some sun on my bones. It nice. was really great. So um, in Seattle, uh, the main purpose of going there was to visit the Chihuly Glass um, exhibition and gardens that they have very close to the Space Needle. Um, And the Space Needle is that huge, big, sort of um, very futuristic-looking structure that people would know quite well from the Seattle skyline. And it was built in 1962, um, and so well, well ahead of its time. And you can go right up to the top of the Space Needle uh, in a big elevator and uh, look out over the city. It's really spectacular. And right beside that, uh, Dale Chihuly, who's a very, probably the world's most amazing glassblower, has created this incredible permanent exhibition and also created a garden space around it. And it's quite a big garden space. And and that's what drew you to go there? To go to Seattle, yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, So... They have these incredible gar- glass installations that are enormous and multicoloured and 
and they've designed the garden using the coloured glass. So say, for instance, if the glass is the structure that comes out of the ground, sort of uh, weird, uh, interesting, tall shapes of coloured, say, purple glass, they use purple and white flowers in that garden section. Or if it's red glass, all the flowers underneath are red. Or if it's orange glass, all the flowers are orange. It's absolutely spectacular. So people can go to my um, Instagram page and have a look at some of the photos for that. Yeah, I'll um, do that. that um, oh, it is really the most incredible place. Fantastic. So exciting to go there. What's the differences between them and us? I know that's a very sweeping, broad question. I'm talking from a perspective of gardens and gardening. Well, Americans um, have a very short, uh, certainly... Season? Um, very short uh, gardening season. Yeah. So basically they don't garden in the winter. They um, spend most of autumn bringing in all of their plants and they overwinter them in their basements. Is or, that right? Oh, yeah. They, they have take to put everything it in the basement. In, yeah. I've often wondered how they get on with the heavy snow. And yeah, so all the, for instance, all the tropical plants, bananas, all those things, they dig them out of the ground. Or Good they grief. Take the pots inside into the basement. Um, and do and, they have grow lights in there or how do they uh, keep... No, they just, they'll just sit there in the dark. Some people dormant, have grow lights, but they just dormant. sit there dormant and they bring them out again in the springtime, in early spring and redo the whole garden every year. Wow, that it, is a commitment. So gardening is a really big task in the US. It is. So And over that winter period, uh, however long that lasts for, I guess they just have to, what, sit tight? Yeah, and they um, spend their time going through seed catalogues. Yeah. And bulb catalogs. Yeah. And uh, oh. planning what they're going to be doing for the next year. So Gosh. trends become very, very important. So um, if there's a grower who is bringing on, say, uh, there was a lot of orange and red in the gardens this Which year. Which is, I love the vibrancy. Oh, it was mm. just stunning. Mm. Um, and lots of purples and white combination. Yeah. Mm. And of course, green and white. So um, really, uh, the growers then determine what people are going to be seeing in their gardens and in their streets because they go all out like in the main streets of every single city in front of every single cafe every single uh, uh, shop front you'll see beautiful planters filled with gorgeous um, uh, summer flowering spring flowering uh, plants and and different varieties Don't we, of we need more of that here but it's our climate is different to be able well, to do it that, is different but I would encourage every single shop owner in Perth if you are yes. a small business go and buy two big large containers and mm. fill them with potted colour yeah. use my thriller spiller filler yeah. idea and you know just make your shop yeah, stand, stand out from out. everybody else yeah. and it's really a very inexpensive way it says come in it's very it really inviting does. it says I care this is joy this is fun it just adds to the whole ambience I couldn't agree with you more and, and it I doesn't guess... matter if it's a bookshop or a, a flower shop yeah. or or a, That's right. a hairdressers or yeah. a, you it's know, so a cafe. inviting. Absolutely. And when I lived in Europe for the short time that I did and the many times that I visited Europe, that's what I adored was the shop fronts and the the baskets everywhere and the flowers and in on the in the middle of the road and you know it was just but I, I guess their climate is easier to maintain that too but certainly well it hasn't been I mean no, they've had, had a brutal a summer yeah. in in the US and in um, Europe UK, for yeah. sure but um, they just water them they, you know yeah, they look, look after, after them, them and, and they really take pride in it you yeah. know and that's what we need to do more like pride all those little um, all those little strip shops that you see um, around yeah. that are just 
starting to come back after COVID in all yeah. of our suburbs. Yeah. Imagine if each one of those little Brings shopping centres. Brings it alive. Centers, yeah. It really does, yeah. Plants oh. bring everything to life. No, I couldn't agree more. So today at 20 past eight, we are chatting with Lynn Chambers from Tulips with a Difference. So talking about summer colour and summer flowering bulbs, of course, and when we need to be thinking about them, getting them in. And we need to just learn about what to look out for and, of course, how you look after bulbs in our hot conditions. So chatting with Lynn Chambers uh, very shortly at 20 past eight. And our special guest in the studio this morning, he will be joining us from 20 to to nine, we have Tillo Kruger. Now we're talking about Drosseras, okay, and most of you out there would probably know them more as the sundew plant uh, and they'll be popping up in bushland all around us very, very soon. So we're going to learn about carnivorous plants, more about carnivorous plants. Do you have one? Uh, no, I don't. I've never had terribly good success with it. Um, but my son did star in Little Shop of Horrors, so we know about edible plants. You know about them or plants that eat you. Um, so a lot of people uh, that collect, they become quite obsessed. D. Yeah. Martin, if you're listening. Yes. So uh, we're talking, uh, having Tillo in the studio with us. We look forward to that from 20 to 9. And he's actually studying here, getting graining a PhD at Curtin University as we speak. So he knows his stuff. So if any of you have that interest, we encourage your calls. And we certainly encourage your calls this morning for Andrea on 94841927, who has just come back from the US. But... So much to share, but obviously we want to know what's going on in your garden if you have any issues. Good oh, stories. absolutely, yes. Yeah, please share. Hard stories. Yeah, we love to know. We love to know. And I'll answer anything, even if it's citrus. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's about lemons. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it. We'll give it a crack. <laughs> All right, and we do have our competitions today. I think, actually, I might do one right now, to be quite honest with you. We have a little bit of time, and it wouldn't hurt to give away a $75 gift voucher from Paul and Linda Michener, Green Life Soil Co. And whilst I'm on the subject of Linda and Paul, they will be in the chair for Faye next week uh, doing the show between them. And they are incredibly knowledgeable. Fabulous so people. They, they are fabulous people and such all-round knowledge that they have uh, to be able to speak to them directly next week. You know, I encourage people to support them next Saturday. And so, great time for thinking about your veggie garden for Very spring. much so. Yeah. Very and they can so. definitely help with that. They're really good yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. And certainly with uh, wicking beds and things yes. like that, they actually can supply those to you as well. They can give you all that information. And, of course, that is the way to go in our summers. Wicking beds are a really definitely good option. Definitely subsurface reticulation right where the plants need that water. Water is what we need to be doing. For sure. So they have a motto of delivering a greener garden and their philosophy founded in permaculture. Green Life Soil Co. promote biodiversity and sustainability. There's a wealth of information on their website. Go to greenlifesoil.com.au where you'll find all the products that you would be looking for all in one place for your gardening requirements. And they have a monthly newsletter. I got mine this week. In my inbox, it's free. Go 
go onto their website, join up with a monthly newsletter, and it's telling you what you need to be thinking about right now going forward into spring. Which it's is a great newsletter. I, I it's a really to as well. exactly. Yeah. It's really really interesting. I encourage everyone to sign up for that free newsletter. And Green Life specialise in custom mixed soils, which are often made on site and many of their products are organically certified and a number of their soil amendment products are water-wise endorsed. For the biggest stuff, Green Life do deliver and also provide courtesy trailers. Trailers Should that help you out? And for we, the smaller gardeners, a lot of, gardeners, a lot of their products do come in bags as well, uh, which is really, really handy. Now, here's a true or false, another one of... John's tricky questions, although it's not tricky enough because our listeners are equally as tricky and equally as clever. Not to have won a prize in the last 28 days, guys, and must be a Curtin FM member. True or false, delphiniums were named by the ancient Greeks for their word for dolphins. True or false, delphiniums were named by the ancient Greeks from their word for dolphins. Give Bev a call, 94 Eight four one nine two seven. True or false? And that seventy five dollar gift voucher could be yours. Okay, and I can see the line. Someone already knows the answer because the lines are. Uh, uh, and so, how? Tell me, how's your garden been going whilst um, you're away? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, survived over the winter, and uh, yeah, I pruned all my roses back quite hard just before I left. Normally, I don't prune my roses until August. But because you were going away. Because I was going away, but also because they were um, affected by the chilli thrip. And um, so I just thought, no, I'm going to just prune them back really, really hard. And Mm. if I lose some, how sad. I'd have to go and buy some more. Yeah, tragic. (laughs) (laughs) A tragic problem. Nothing worse than rose shopping, hey? Yeah, 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 exactly. But they're all okay. Oh, they've come back a treat. Absolute treat. You know, I still have got a couple that I haven't done yet. That's all right. I'm going to you, have to do them. Often, um, I've been I waiting for them to tell me. Yeah, well, they they will tell you, but they'll keep blooming until yep. you know. But um, I I've got a couple of people that I need to go and visit and uh, do a few rose prunings mm. just in the next couple of weeks, and then I think I'm done for the year, which is very good. Yeah, mm. yeah, very very nice. I stop getting uh, scratches on my arms. Now we I? do get that. I yeah. ha- often have war wounds and cuts up my arms and for hands, and as we do, I'm a bit of a naughty uh, bare hand. Bare hand pruner. Me too. (laughs) Pay the price. And I get out there a bit too gung-ho for my own liking. Certainly pay the price. All right. So coming up very soon, we'll be chatting with Lynn Chambers from WA Bulbs Tulips with a Difference. In case you have any questions, you can give Bev a call and we can put those questions to Lynn. So we look forward to speaking to Lynn at 20 past eight. And at the moment... Bev is very, very busy out there with the lines with regard to our competition. How are the weeds in your garden? They're tragic. They're <laughs> everywhere. They're just, yeah, go. as Faye would say, they're going for gold. <laughs> so mm. it's, this is a great weekend to get stuck in and do some weed. weed yeah, yeah, yeah. Get them out. Yeah. Um, and now they should be big enough that they're easy enough just to pull out, really. Yeah, it's just getting all of them out, isn't it? It's without yes. leaving something in the ground. But if I they're big that. enough, they're easy to Yeah, easy it depends to on the weed. Some come yeah. out easier than others true, and what they true. are. But yeah. I bought this weed gadget, which I really love, and you, you, you put it into the centre, like spear it into the centre of oh, the yeah. weed, and then you put your foot on this thing that's on the stick, yeah. 
and it just it just honestly it just lifts out of the ground Sucks it's a piece, it out of, the piece of cake and i i just love this thing yeah. i borrowed one and i thought oh no i've got to buy this and, and uh, it's easy yeah. on your back by the sounds of it easy too. on your back and it does a brilliant job and it, when you lift it out of the ground all the roots are hanging off it and you're going oh yes That's so instead awesome. of being down you know groveling around on your hands and knees brilliant. there are gadgets out there that there can are. help you yeah i saw some fantastic ones in the u.s um one of my favorite ones that you can only get well you can only get on through Amazon um, over there, and but it's uh, it's a great tool, and I swear by it. So uh, it's a brilliant. So do you bring things back like that with you? Uh, Can um, you? A Can few you things might have them, like ended up in the suitcase. The- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've got to come back with your trophies, girl. We'll oh, be back yes. in a moment. Curtain Radio. 22 minutes after eight, you are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. My special guest in the studio. On behalf of Faye Akaro today is the beautiful Andrea Whiteley. Straight out to the lines we shall go. We're in Dianella. Caroline, good morning. Oh, good morning. Good morning, ladies. Um, I, I told my neighbours I would uh, prune their roses for them, but I, I didn't get round to it. It's August too late? Definitely not, Caroline. It's actually the perfect time. It is my month of choice for pruning roses. And the reason for that is because it shortens the time uh, between the cutting and bud burst uh, or, you know, the new leaves emerging, which reduces the opportunity for fungal diseases. So if you... um, if you prune them now, between now and the end of August, even like I, I, truth be known, I have done them early September at my own place. But if you you do them between now and the end of August, it's absolutely perfect. Um, prune them and spray them on the same day with lime sulphur, um, which is you know an organic product and it is a great fungicide you must spray them on the same day when the cell walls are open for it to to work um, so give them a good spray make sure that you pull all the dirt around the base away from the base of the plant to allow the air into the plant and then spray and um, then give them some fertilizer and away they'll go um, and that they'll be fantastic Oh, yeah. Okay, then that sounds great. Um, and the other thing is I had put in some kangaroo paws, two beds. If I did the first bed and then the second bed, the second bed took off with the first bed. Oh, they look real. I don't know if it's the bed or whatever. I wanted to shift two of the plants. When would be a good time to shift? Now is the perfect time before they start oh, okay. um, budding up. So um, definitely lift them out now. Make sure that you get uh, the uh, you know good amount of the root mass. You could even split them if it's a big clump of them. You could even split them and make more plants. Uh, but now's a great time while the soil is nice and damp. It's a great time to move them. Great time to move anything actually. Oh, that's, but that's kangaroo excellent. paws will move uh, quite easily. Other natives, not so much. They've already started flowering. The little flowers are Look, coming I'd out. Still pull them up. They'll be fine. Yeah. That'll be okay, will Yeah, I? I think so. And just give them a bit of um, slow release for natives and you'll be good to go. Oh, yeah, I do have some of that. Yeah, Perfect. that's what I usually do. Dig a hole and put some in the bottom. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or just sprinkle it around the surface too. Um, yeah. so the surface is often uh, like in a little ring just around the base of the plant. Works really right. well rather than putting it in the hole. In the hole, you could put in some mature compost and water them yeah, as well. Yeah, I do. I do both of them. Yeah, yeah good for, one. With the other plants, I usually put a few water crystals, um, some fertilizer, and some compost and dig it into the soil that's there. Oh, it sounds like you know what you're doing, 
Caroline. <laughs> no, a friend showed me that. <laughs> oh, lovely. Thank you. That's All right. excellent. Go well. Thank Thanks, you. Caroline. Bye. Thank you. Okay, now, as promised, we have our good friend Lynn Chambers patiently online. Thanks for waiting for us, Lynn. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thank you. Okay, thank you for having me. You're with Ray and Andrea today. Uh, Faye's uh, a little bit unwell, so uh, oh. you'll just have to put up with us this morning. <laughs> How's it all going? We're looking forward to summer flowering bulbs. When should we be thinking about it? Oh, right now. The right now. Yeah. Yeah, you can plant just about everything now. Now, and, uh, ready. Yeah. Yes. And and yes. if we plant our bulbs now, when would it, I suppose it would depend on the bulbs, of course. But when would you be looking at bulbs popping up for summer? Oh, they'll they'll start and move pretty well straight away. Straight away. Um, but within each family, there are early, mid, and late flowering varieties. Yes. So um, that's in the lilliums, um, yeah, um, gladioli's, all of those. Um, Dahlias as well. So you can have ongoing colour happening um, yeah, depending what, on the variety. What about hippiastrums? Yeah, hippies usually flush more in the spring. spring yeah. um, but yes, planting now is, is good. Their flower usually comes before the foliage. Yes. Um, yeah, so they they usually flush in the summer. Well, early early summer, sort of around October, November, yes, that, yes. that period. Um, and sometimes you can get a second flowering in the autumn depending on your size of your bulb and how happy they are. They're one of my absolute faves, actually. Oh, stunning. Yeah, mm. they're gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. My husband has a nice collection of hippie astros. He? he loves them, yeah. Mm. He, he tends those. They're oh, his in good. pots, yes. He's had them for years. <laughs> um, tell us about the dahlias. I, where I've just come back from the mm. US and the dahlias are the size of dinner plates oh, and all, yes, all the gorgeous <laughs> colours. Um, yes. And I've had good success with growing them for a friend of mine um, in his garden last summer. Um, what varieties have you got coming on this season, Lynn? We've got the full range. So um, the the really large one are your giant decorative dahlia that has a flower about the size of a dinner plate. And um, then you go down in size from that. So your decorative is about a, a bread and butter plate size flower, um, down to your pom-pom and balls, which are smaller. Um, they are very uniform in shape, and as the name <clears throat> reflects, they're round. Um, so, yeah, you get the full gambit. And what colours are most on trend for this summer, would you say? Uh, Pinks have been really popular, um, mm. but most most people like um, the full range. You know, some people have a garden colour scheme, like some people have all white. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, they're just so delightful that there's yeah a great selection. Even the golden ones give a good contrast to other colours in the garden. Absolutely stunning. Mm. Yes. And tell me, um, do you suggest that people lift their dahlias, uh, the tubers, um, every year, or leave them in the ground? We do recommend lifting them. You can leave them in a couple of years, but what happens is that the tubers multiply every year and they will form a really dense bunch, which yeah. you'll find very difficult to um, to divide. And dividing them, um, you need to look for the nodule where the shoots will come from, and not every tuber will have a nodule. Um, so having a bunch that's not too cramped, cramped, you can actually see those nodules easier. If If you're not sure, just leave them until they shoot, and then you can divide them. Oh, so you can actually lift them up out of the ground after they've shot? 
No, no, before oh, they've shot. before they've shot. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if you just poke the tips of them in a bit of moist soil, that'll stimulate them Very to good. get going. Yeah. But they, they will shoot even out of the soil um, if the conditions are getting late. In the bag. Mm. I've seen them in plenty yeah. of... Uh, uh, big box stores. Start where... without you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Lynn, what, what are some good tips for our listeners with regard to planting bulbs up for summer and what do we need to be aware of in our hot conditions going forward? Okay. The most important thing is to plant the bulbs at the depth that we recommend. Yeah. Um, if you plant them too shallow, um, they can get cooked in the summer heat. Yeah. So most bulbs are 10 to 15 centimetres deep. Um, some of the autumn flowering ones that have the neck exposed and that's fine because they need the heat but all the others need to go in the depth recommended um, if you if you're not or if you have problems getting down to that depth we recommend a bulb planter they're not very yeah. expensive yeah. Um, but they take out the depth that you require it's got a gauge measured on the side and your soil just needs to be moist when you push it in and it takes a plug of dirt out and then it's just a matter of dropping the bulb in the hole so they work really well um, good for seedlings too but yeah having them the right depth um, if you're mulching over the top um, just make sure when you water that the water does penetrate through to the base of the bulb um, some mulches will absorb the water and stop it from getting into the soil where you need it yeah. so yeah. With, with restrictions on watering um, just check where things are at that your soil is moist. And making sure um, it's getting what it needs. Yeah. And Lynn, would you recommend yeah. planting your bulbs in a um, in the ground or in a container? It is fine. Um, dahlias grow to quite a good sized bush. Um, so it depends on how windy you can. Oop. Uh, they can blow over. So, so they, it is yeah. quite a good idea to stake the, the dahlias because they, they do tend to blow yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah, and it's and it's a good idea to put that stake in when you plant because you know where the tuber is. Good yeah. point. Yeah. it in halfway through, you secure it. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, very good, very good. And so if people want to have a look at your catalogue, can they, they can just go to your website and have a browse, can they, Lynn? Yeah, everything. Um, we have got more dahlias coming on. We haven't got our full range up online yet. Um, oh, okay. In the next couple of weeks, we will will have our full range, but there are some there. Um, but we're still preparing them at this stage, so until we know what we've got, we don't put them up. So I see. Don't get disappointed. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. getting your catalogue. <laughs> I love getting it in the mail and just sitting there drooling over it, deciding what I'm going to order. I know. I normally with the pages. I normally fold a page and then I move on and I fold another page. Go back to it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, then make my executive decision. Yes, it's a lovely thing to do in the in the winter, mm. or or in the heat of summer when you're thinking about your spring bulbs for sure. Uh, when you think about your winter bulbs, yeah. Are you there? Are you there, Lynn? We, we keep losing you a little bit. The the phone line sort of oh, dropping okay. in and out. We just have these little gaps of silence is there anything you can recommend yeah. when we do plant the bulbs is there any feeding regimes anything that we can add to get the most oomph out of our out of our little investments um just the gun fertilizer so um one that covers you know gives you the trace elements as well as the nitrogen um lots of nitrogen will give you good leaf growth but not a lot of flowers 
so they need the trace elements to to push into flower. Mm. So just a general purpose um, broad spectrum fertiliser is great. Um, animal manures are fine as well, but just make sure that you put in some of the um, trace elements too. Um, and yeah, they're happy if you so, do that at planting time. Do you need to prepare the soil before you plant? Um, what would you well, recommend? Not necessary. Yeah, I'd do it at the time of planting. If you put your fertiliser in too early and you get rain, a lot of that will leach away and your plant won't get the benefit of it. So mm-hmm. if you put it in when you're planting, um, it's there for when it needs it. So different um, trace elements are used at different stages of the growth. So, um, yeah, usually we recommend putting it in, digging it through your bed. Unless you're using animal manures, that um, they need to be old, um, not new. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be aged. Um, you can dig that in and dig it through. That's fine. But with your um, um, quick-release fertilisers or slow-release, those are better to go in with the plant. And so people obviously, dare I say it, can start thinking about their bulbs heading towards Christmas for any displays coming up around then. Is it too, too, a good time to consider that too? Uh, for Christmas? Oh, the ones you're planting now will flower through Christmas yeah. as well. Yeah. So, like in the Lilium family, you've got early, mid and late flowering varieties. So yeah. your big dinner plate size Liliums, your Orientals and the Oriental Trumpets won't flower until Christmas or a bit after. Lovely. Um, where things like LAs and Asiatics and Tangos Mm-hmm. Um, and tigers will flower prior to that. So you can have ongoing flower yeah. um, throughout all summer. And I know it's a very hard option. one, but can you give us, say, three or four top recommendations for our listeners if they were going to invest in some lovely bulbs? What would you suggest? I know it's a personal thing. Uh, it, yeah, it is. And it's such a huge range too. Yeah, it's very hard to um, narrow it down. Yeah. Gladioli, liliums yeah. and dahlias would be would be my three picks. Okay. Dahlias, the more you pick those, the more flowers you get. So when the flowers are spent, just pick, um, pick them off and they'll form more buds and keep going. Um, great for cut flowers. They flower for at least three months. That's good um, value. Gladioli uh, are just beautiful for a show. Um, and the same with your dahl- dahl- um, liliums. Um, you can get different height ones. Um, I've actually got one in my garden here that grows to um, about two metres tall. Unfortunately, it, <laughs> it's downward facing and it's flower, so you can enjoy the flower. Yeah. It's spectacular, but yeah. you can get short ones that are suitable for pots through to really tall ones. Yeah, but, so much. Um, yeah, they're just beautiful. Um, some of them are fragrant and some of them aren't. So mm. depending on your light, so usually the oriental and the oriental trumpet have a beautiful yeah, um, the others not so much so. Yeah, um, yeah. You've certainly give us, given us more to think about. And if anyone that can sort of picture all of that in their mind will be I having do. a beautiful mind picture right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lynn, we'll let you get back to your weekend. Thank you very, very much for sharing and giving us those tips. And for listeners, no, well. listeners that are interested, your website is wabulbs.com. That's very easy, wabulbs.com. And they can learn a lot more. You've got a lot of good information on your website, I know. So, And keep watching your website because obviously you're going to be adding to that in the next few weeks. Well, thanks for having me. All right, Lynn, we did have the best of line. Look look after yourself and we hope we'll be chatting with you, obviously, before Christmas anyway. Thank you so much for your time. Great. Thanks, Thanks, Lynn. You're welcome. Cheers for that. Bye. Bye.
It's always hard, isn't it, when you get, yeah, it's just sort of, mobile phones have got a lot to answer for, haven't they? They really do. The good old land, bring back the landlines. Yeah, bring back the landlines. We're in Mundaring. Margaret, good morning. Oh, good morning, girls. Hello, Margaret. Morning. It changes topic. Yes. Um, I have got a, a pot bursting with lacanalias that are just opening their bottom flowers. Yes, I, me too. Mm-hmm. And I want to um, give some away to some oh. friends. Is it too late? Is it a bad time to do it? If they're just about to bloom, it might not be the best time, no. Okay. Um, so just wait. Can I do it once the flowers die down? When the flowers the are finished, leaves, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. And share them. Before what a the lovely leaves. thing to do. Is that before the leaves have died? Uh, yeah, you, or you could wait until the leaves have died down and then split mm-hmm. it. That might be the best because all the nutrients will go back down into the, into the roots and uh, they'll be better to split after that. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So if they're not flowering like a noreen, because they've had their time a couple of months ago. Yes, you could definitely split, you could now. definitely do the noreens now for sure. They're all green, you see, and they are. I've got, these, and I've got all sorts of things. Yeah, you could you could do the noreens now, but it yes. might. I mean, if you can wait a little bit until the the leaves have died off, it might be a good idea. Oh, I see. But it wouldn't hurt if you did it now. No. Okay. Thanks very much, Andrea. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Margaret. Bye. Now, let me see. Now, believe it or not, we don't have a winner for our quiz. What is wrong with everybody? John, maybe he's finally... uh, Stumped everybody. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to give you that question again. Of course, just to reiterate that you must be a Curtain Radio member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. We like to... Share the love. That's why we have to stipulate that. True or false, delphiniums were named by the ancient Greeks from the word dolphins. Is that true or is it false? Delphiniums were named by the ancient Greeks from their word for dolphins. Yeah. Who knows? You're bushed, aren't you? (laughs) I can tell. Okay. We're going to have a short break. Uh, When we return, we're going to answer Lara's question and we'll also be chatting with Robert. Okie dokie. <laughs> we are here. We just get caught up in uh, deep conversations. All right. This is Let's Talk Gardening. You are with Ray and Andrea. And I will be introducing our special guest uh, with us in the studio in just a moment. Heading out to the lines, we're in Kiara. Robert, good morning. Uh, good morning. Hello, Robert. Hello. Uh, thank you for your program. I just wish to ring up to find out we've got a Maya lemon. It's about 1,800 tall, and it's in a big pot, and we're transplanting it into the ground. I've got the hole all dug and prepared with a compost soil improver, and I put sea salt wetter into the soil. Now, the plant itself, the tree itself, has got a lot of flowers budding on it now, and I recall it's 20 years old, um, I recall when we first planted, um, we were advised to strip all the flowers off. Now, I'm guessing and estimating that when I put it in today, I really need to cut this back 
to so it allows the plant to overcome the shock. So what's going to happen, Robert, um, when you... Because it's been in that pot for 20 years, it's a long time. So what's happened, what will ha- have happened is that the roots will have started to grow in a circle around and around and around that base of that pot. So when you pull it out, of, it's going to be quite hard to pull it out of the pot. Is the pot plastic or is it um, terracotta or...? But I've got assistance. Oh, good, because it's going to be really hard. You'll need to lay it on its side and pull it out. Yes. You might even have to go round it with a, a sharp bread knife or something like that. And you might have to trim some of the roots off if they're um, if they're spinning around in a circle at the base of the the, the yes. where the bottom of the pot is. Because good. if you plant that straight into the ground, the roots are going to continue to grow in a circle, and it won't thrive. I understand that. Yes. So um, trim them yes. with the secateurs. Don't break them off or, you know, cut them really hard with a, a shovel. It, you know, it's a bit like when you um, tear off a fingernail rather than cutting it. The, it's quite painful when you just tear it off. Um, so it's the same for a plant. You don't want to allow any bacteria and so on to get in. So you're better off if you just cut them with some sec- nice sharp secateurs before you plant it. Now what will happen is the the flowers will automatically fall off in oh, in right. response to your transplant. So you can choose, normally what we say is when you're doing a transplant, what you take from the bottom, you take from the top. So I would give it a light prune. Um, so a light prune at the bottom at the roots and a light prune overall at the top, just to shape it into its new position. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, but I, I made the, um Considering I've done a fairly good job on preparing the soil... It sounds like you really have done a great job. Well done. Because of, uh, of it, it'll be shocked and everything. No, look, thank you very much. That's been very helpful. Good. And fill the hole with water when you oh, do yes. the transplant. Yeah. Because yes. we, even though we feel like we've had a lot of rain, we actually have not. So deep down where at the bottom of your hole will be dry. Correct, yes. So I'm I would have the hose running holes, while you plant it. Down now, put a lot of it down there. Fantastic. All right, well, thank you very much for that, and I appreciate it. You're welcome, Robert. Have a great day. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye for now, Robert. And speaking of our rainfall, we're sitting at 11 mils, uh, and it's the 12th today. Our average is 123, and we've been... I'm not blaming the weather bureau. It's out of their hands, but they do say 10 mils is coming and, you know, twice this week. And, well, we, it didn't happen around my area, I can assure you. Because we probably mm. are getting the 10 mils, but it's the wind blows it away. Yeah. So it's not actually soaking rain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, we obviously need the next half of August, we need it to really rain. And we um, need to be preparing the gardens for a long, dry summer. Oh, please. Yeah. Doesn't that perish the thought? All right. Now, we do have a winner of our $75 gift voucher from Green Life Soil Co. Maria uh, from Hocking. Good on you. Um, the question was, true or false, delphiniums were named by the ancient Greeks from their word for dolphins. And it's true. Apparently, the buds look like dolphins. Of course they do. (laughs) So there's your answer. Now, Lara of Duncraig called in and she has a four metre guava tree. It's about four years old. Her neighbour has requested that they cut it back 
to two metres, prune it back to two metres. Can you give her some advice direction with that? Crikey, that's uh, cutting it in half. That's, that's cutting <laughs> it in half. Some neighbours have a bit to answer for, yeah, don't they? Do. People just don't like trees, sadly. Mm. This is um, true. <laughs> lucky my neighbours love trees. Oh, you are lucky. <laughs> um, so I, I would, you could cut it down. There's no doubt about that. But I would wait until it's finished fruiting. And um, then give it a trim. But rather than going two metres straight away, I would just take one metre off and then reduce it by a metre at the next prune. Going by 50% is a lot and you could risk damaging the tree. So if you wait till it's finished fruiting, you're not going to cut off any new buds um, and uh, you'll make sure that it survives the cut. But it might um, be a good idea to call in an arborist a proper arborist, not a tree lopper. Um, mm, call in a, a, you know, a proper arborist and get them to give you some advice in that regard. But definitely you can prune it for sure, but I wouldn't go 50%. I think that's a bit much in one bit drastic. Hit. Yeah, Agreed. one metre and then one metre. And then, it, it you know, you're indicating to your neighbour that you're respectful of their opinion yeah, and giving it a, a nice light trim but keeping your tree alive at the same time. You're not shocking your tree no. to death, literally. And aren't guava trees beautiful and the flower? They really are gorgeous. The, flower the flowers are divine. I know, I know. I just love them. All right, now we have our special guest. Good morning, Tilo. How are you? Good morning. Th- I'm glad to be here. There, thank you for joining us. Now, your list of achievements and degrees and is we mere mortals can't quite probably wrap our head around can you explain where you're at who you are where you're from what you're doing yeah sure all your titles please (laughs) so i'm a phd student at the moment here at curtin university Mm -hmm. i'm studying environmental science but i'm really quite specialized into carnivorous plants you know plants that have evolved a specific strategy to capture, kill, and digest animals. And I'm doing mostly ecological research. So I'm looking into their prey spectra, what kind of prey they eat, also their pollinators. So these plants also need insects for pollination. Mm. And I'm looking into what pollinates them. And I'm also doing all kinds of um, additional work outside of my PhD project that involves things like um, conservation, doing lots of surveys for rare species, rare and potentially threatened species, um, assessing the conservation status of these species. And yeah, I'm also doing a lot of taxonomic work, like describing new species that um, are found at a very frequent pace here in Western Australia. And is there many people doing what you're doing right now? In Do you have many colleagues? I do have. um, So my supervisor is Dr. Adam Cross. He is Mm -hmm. an international expert in carnivorous plants and um, very glad to to have him as my supervisor. And yeah, I also have lots of colleagues working on these um, projects from interstate and even internationally from my home country in Germany, um, for example. Yeah. Will you stay in Australia once you've finished? (laughs) It's a good question, question? but but, um, generally my intentions are yes, I hope to Mm. stay here because my whole life has evolved around Western Australian carnivorous plants. Because you were attracted to WA because of our carnivorous plants. Exactly, yes, that's the only reason I'm here. (laughs) Okay, okay. I hope we're not that scary. No, not at all. And for a a plant taxonomist to live in a biodiversity hotspot like we do, I mean, it's just... 
you couldn't imagine living in such a place where you're constantly Heaven. being able to identify new species. I mean, across the rest of the world, we would be in a very envious position. Uh, because they have the same plants over and over and over again, whereas yes. we're always discovering new plants. Yeah. In, in Germany, there are three species of sundews. In the whole of Europe, there are the same three species oh, is that, of sundews. Is that so? Mm. Compared to here, how many? Here in Perth, just in the 50 kilometres around Perth, there are more than 60 species of sundew. In the mm. southwest of WA alone, there are almost 120 species of sundews. And mm. in the, if you count the Kimberleys as well, you have 150, 160 species of sundew, making WA by far the world's center of diversity for these for these plants. Yeah, that it, is. It's incredible. a very special place that we live. Yes, and uh, it's great to hear that uh, so many people are interested in that kind of work and and uh, identifying these wonderful plants so that then once they're identified, we can look after them properly exactly. uh, and protect them and honor them. To learn more. Okay, mm. short break. We shall return, guys. 100.1 Thanks for your company this morning. You are listening to Let's Talk Gardening. I have two special guests in the studio this morning. I have Andrea Whiteley and I also have Tilo Kruger. Now, we've been chatting to Tilo just briefly about sundews and we thought we'd start off by saying to you, what is a sundew? What does it look like? There's a lot of people out there that might not have any idea what we're talking about. You know, a carnivorous plant, what does that mean? Is it going to eat my finger off? What is it? Well, the great news is your cat and your finger are safe. So Very safe. <laughs> so, yeah, um, carnivorous plants and sundews in particular are, you know, plants that um, have evolved specialized leaves to capture insects um, to gain additional nutrients. And they do so by producing small tentacles on their leaves that produce a sticky mucilage drop at their tips. And these small mucilage drops on their leaves are attractive to small an animals and insects. And they get stuck on the leaf and then slowly digested on the leaf. And these um, sundews, they come in all kinds of different sizes and shapes around here. We have very small species that are sm where the whole plant fits on your thumbnail, basically. Um, and it's hard to see at all. But we also have much taller species that can be a meter or taller. And when you look at them at um, sunrise or sunset, you can see them glistening because they're covered with these sticky tentacles that make the plant carnivorous. And do they attract their nutrition through insects, etc., because they can't get it out of the soil? Yes, that's the whole point of the plant developing this carnivorous habit. Mm. It's a strategy for them to survive in extremely nutrient poor soils. And here in WA, we have a lot <laughs> we, of those. We are, we are winners, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? That's, that's why they're here. Exactly. That's why, they, that's why we have such a diversity of these as well. We have mm. so many... Um, nutrient-poor soil areas here in Western Australia, together with the long-term um, climatic stability. We haven't had any glaci glaciation, for example, mm. for a very long time. Um, this has allowed these carnivorous plants to evolve into so many different species. And when, when you've completed your studies, what, will, what would be the next step for you? What, what's your dream job? What do you hope to do? Well, I definitely want to... Um, um, keep researching carnivorous plants, mm. um, being a researcher, describing new species, um, doing ecological works. Um, but 
also importantly conservation works because we don't just have the highest number of carnivorous plants in the world, we also have the highest number of threatened carnivorous plant species in the world. And some are on the very brink of extinction here in WA. So how do we preserve them? What do listeners need to know? So first and foremost, we have to preserve the habitat, right? Ah, oh that's, dear. That's the mm. most important thing. Yeah. Um, mm. Land clearing is still Ooh. an issue in... Big subject. Yeah, mm. in many areas where carnivorous plants thrive and a couple of species have been driven to almost extinction due to um, urban development here in the Perth area over the past few decades. And in addition to that, we have issues with nutrient um, inflow into into the natural habitats, for example, from surrounding farmland. Um, and uh, as I mentioned before, these nut- these carnivorous plants um, have evolved the nutrient poor soils to an extent that they depend on the nutrient poorness of the soil. If you have additional nutrients coming in from outside, it'll wipe them out. It'll wipe them out. What do they look like? Are they, are they do they look all the same, or how how can you distinguish? Yes. So as I mentioned before, they come in all different kinds of shapes yeah. and sizes, right? Mm. Um, we have tiny rosetted species um, that are called the pygmy sundews for for a reason. They are really really small. And they are only about a centimeter, one and a half centimeter in diameter, forming small um, rosettes that are close to the ground. But we also have like erect freestanding sundews that can be 10, 20, 30 centimeters tall. Mm. Um, We have even climbing sundews that are like a vine climbing through the surrounding vegetation up to three meters tall in extreme cases. Um, So they come in all kinds of different shapes and, and sizes around here. Mm. And can they be propagated? Yes, they can. Um, Unfortunately, the WA species, the native ones, are quite rarely propagated. You will usually not find them in any like garden centers or or stores for available. However, there are um, overseas species that are quite readily available and are also quite easy um, to cultivate and, and, and propagate. So people would have seen perhaps in garden centres the um, it's a, a a small one that looks like a looks like a set of teeth. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, most people, if they've got uh, teenage boys, would have been encouraged to buy one, and um, it would have been fed with uh, flies and dead flies that and all sorts of exactly, fingers. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly how I got interested into carnivorous plants right? as a young child at the age so? of eleven. I got so? a present from my parents, which was oh, the Venus flytrap. The Venus flytrap, which has these leaves yeah. that are um, like that are snapping um, together yeah. in a fraction of a second. And I fed these with um, small flies from around the house and. <laughs> I just got fascinated with how this plant eats animals, and yeah, that's how it all started. That's how it evolved. Yeah. And how many species of, of this type of plant are there in your native country, Germany? Um, so we have three species of um, sundews. Um, again, all of Europe has just three species three. of sundews. Mm. Which makes our West Australian discovery so amazing. Yes, yeah. it's uh, it's a whole different world for, for carnivorous plants here in WA. All right, we have to go to the 9am news. We will chat more soon. 
Okay, we're heading for a maximum today of 19. It will be partly cloudy right now. It's 12 degrees and our humidity is sitting at 82%. Overnight, you can expect a minimum of 8 and a maximum tomorrow of 19. It will be sunny, yay. And looking ahead to Monday, the minimum overnight will be 9 and a maximum of 20 possible showers up to one mil okay and there's a little bit of rain coming hopefully on tuesday and wednesday and then i think it's finding up again so who knows now we have a question for andrea it's coming through special guests in the studio this morning of course andrea whiteley fresh off the plane from the u.s brimming over with lots of ideas which i can't wait to hear about to the max I was inspired just looking at all your photos on Facebook. Goodness me, I live through your. You know, other people go on holidays, and I actually, yeah, oh, you don't need live. To just I just, I'm an air char, air, <laughs> yeah. What do you call it? Uh, uh, armchair, armchair traveller. Mm-hmm. And we have Tilo Kruger in the studio with us this morning till 10 a.m. as well. We're talking about carnivorous plants and research and everything surrounding that, including in a moment we'll talk about citizen science as well. But we're in Quinns. Pauline, good morning. Um, good morning, ladies. Hello, How are you? Hello, Pauline. Very well. How is Thank it up you. in Queens today? Yeah, lovely, lovely. It's been nice yesterday as well. Very nice and clear and sunny. Gorgeous. So just, just like nice spring. Yeah, and that's right. Look, Andrea, I'm sorry to ask this again because I heard you a moment ago advising the gentleman about the planting his Maya uh, little plant out into the garden. I've actually um, got two in a pot. One's in um, a clay pot and the other one is in a big plastic pot. Don't ask me the size of them because I'm hopeless but it's about 70 centimetres across. They're big pots Mm -hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't have a clue what literage they are Um, but they've been there for donkey's years and they're looking a bit froze but I want to take them out and repot them. So I, I know from when we've repotted other little things just how much potting mix they take um, to, to actually buying it by the bag. You know? So my husband has bought some, and I know the saying is you only get what you pay for uh, as far as good potting mix, uh, but he's bought quite a few bags from the big new grocery store that's hit Perth the last few years. Oh, yes. And it was quite, it's got all the ticks on it, the five ticks, uh, but, but much cheaper in price. So I'm just wondering, because of the amount of potting mix, could we use those and just build it up with putting, you know, yes, some you clay? Yes, definitely and... can. So, um, yeah, if you're using a um, a well, a ch- I always say to people, you should purchase the the best potting mix that you can afford, and. If you are buying potting mix that is perhaps on the the cheaper end of the of the spectrum, then you will need to add more organic matter to that. So you could add um, a multi mix manure. You could add um, mature compost. Um, like mature compost is not expensive. You could add mushroom compost. You will need to add some things. Um, even though it's got all the ticks on the side, it might have quite a lot of sand in it to bulk it up okay so that's Mm -hmm. why you will need to add more organic matter to it so a mature compost is very reasonably priced and you'll only need um if you're putting it into a great big pot you'll probably need half a bag of mature compost per big pot and then the rest use that potting mix 
and any blood and bone, Andrea? I wouldn't use blood and bone. I'd use I would if you um, transplanting citrus. I would use um, um, a multi mix um, manure rather than blood and bone. It's a bit kinder on the because you've got to remember those fibrous roots of um, any citrus, the very fine ones. They're very delicate, and you don't want to mm-hmm. burn those. And sometimes blood and bone can burn them um, if it's mm-hmm. it, you know if it's not watered in well. So it's a bit hit and miss. So you're better off to make sure that you've mixed up the mature compost or the the all purpose. Um, um, manure product in with the uh, potting mix before you plant it in so it's well well mixed and then put it in the pot yeah now Andrea can I ask just you said the multi-mix manure yes you buy that as a bag do yes you, you can so it's got cow sheep and a bit of chook all mixed in together oh well and once again uh, just trimming off the uh, the uh, roots which it's been there for 20 years, I'd Yeah, say. so you will need to trim the roots and what you take from the from the roots, you need to take from the top of the plant. So if you're taking, you know, 10 centimetres or 20 centimetres off the roots at the bottom, you'll need to take from yep. the top of the plant the same, the same um, length. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. And, and you know, when I'm wanting to get, a, um, to put some other... Um, good mix around the garden just to plant like geraniums and things like that. Yeah. If you go, because they're in bigger beds and, you know, various areas, can you get like a, a, a trailer load full of just some sort of... You can. Mix you can whatever? get a trailer load of mature compost from various different suppliers. You can, um, the Green Life Soil Company, they they will um, deliver you some. Um, you can get it in bags or in um, uh, or a trailer load for sure. You can just chuck onto the garden beds, literally. Just chuck it on and then plant straight into it. That's the beauty of using mature compost. You can yeah. plant straight into it. And all of those plants like geraniums and annuals, they will go nuts it's with that It's my favourite thing. It's my favourite thing. It's so good. And, mm. it, you know, it's... It's putting organic matter back into our sandy soil. And if you want a beautiful garden, you just need to do that. Mature compost. Yes. Okay, from the first life. Yep. Oh, that's, look, Andrea, you've been so wonderful. Oh, thank you very much. You're so lovely to listen to. Oh. And very, you know, really, really good. Thanks, very Polly. Clear. Yeah, excellent. You need to clone you. Absolutely. Oh. You're so kind. I agree with you, Pauline. Thanks, Pauline. <laughs> you have a wonderful Saturday. Thank you. Same to you both. Bye bye. Well, that's nice. What a honey. I know. Isn't that just lovely? Well done. All right. We're heading to Manning. Jane, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Jane. Good morning again. Uh, I'm just, uh, I've. Uh, Got some pots, uh, and I've got a bay tree now. It's looking very sickly. Uh, leaves have gone a lime colour. Now the last of the nursery said I've been overwatering it. I'm going to repot it. Um, how often should I water pots at this time of the year, and then in summer? Okay. So out in the open. Uh, my friend does them every three days. Is that enough? 
Well, Jane, I even think three days would be way too much at this time of the year. And that's why uh, your plant is responding, especially a bay tree. They are super tough. They need hardly any water. Think about where they come from. They're a Mediterranean plant where they survive in rocky soils with almost no water. So the best thing to do is to, if you don't want to get your finger dirty, which I... I don't mind getting my fingers dirty. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to, get a chopstick, a wooden chopstick, and you stick the wooden chopstick into the soil of your potted plant and then pull it out. And if it comes out and it's uh, it looks a bit moist and the soil particles are sticking to the side of that chopstick, then it doesn't need any water. If you pull it out and all the soil just falls away from it and it looks dry, then it's time to water it. Right. And where would you get a wooden chopstick? I'm probably well, you could just go to a, a takeaway place and they'll probably give you one for oh, free right. when you buy your takeaway oh. Chinese. And uh, the other ones I've got are um, a fig tree and... Um, uh, some mint and some rosemary. Should they all be done three, three No, days? so there is no rule as such that it needs to be every three days. You really just got to stick your finger in it and if it comes mm-hmm. out, if it doesn't, if it feels dry, then it's time to water it. Um, right. So it, I right. just would not be doing it on a regular basis every three days because you're oh, probably right. overwatering. You'll end up killing your plants. You know, one of the oh, most common right. ways of uh, killing plants in pots is over water. Yeah, we, we, we oh, love them to death. We mm. kill them with kindness. Too much water. And the, the leaves go yellow and we end up rotting the roots. Mm. So less yes, is well, more. Yes, happening less to the more. bay tree. That's yeah. what's happening to the bay tree. And I should take some off the top. I'm going to repot it on the weekend. Okay. Um, so I take some off the top as well as... Yes, I'd take some off the, the top. Trim the roots and take some off the top as well and get rid of all those yellow leaves. Just pull them off. Give it a nice trim and put it in the best quality potting mix that you can afford. Should you put some soil improver in? Not if you're using a really high quality potting mix. You don't need to. It will have nutrients in it for about six months. So you shouldn't need to do anything else. And how often should you water natives in the summer? Should you water them at all? I've heard quite a few different opinions I'm not sure what to do so Jane it really depends on what native you're talking about if if you're talking about natives from Western Australia um, then they will survive a lot better in our summer conditions if you're talking about natives that have um, come in from the eastern states that are eastern states plants then they may need some more water uh, so it really depends on the plant that you're talking about. Right. I think if you find you'll find you have good success if you water no more than what the water corporation suggests, which is two waterings a week is plenty in the in the heat of summer. Two waterings a week. Oh, I didn't think that. I've heard once a month, and um, that was one and. Another one was, uh, I've forgotten what it was, but I've just heard... No, probably two waterings a week would be good. It doesn't need to be a lot, but just um, it'll just just enough. A good soak. So if you um, stand by the plant with your hose, if you don't have an irrigation system, if you stand by the plant and count to 20, that's enough to give it a good deep drink. Right. And these plants are from the Swan Coastal Plains, so they're WA plants. Well, they'll they'll survive a lot better without 
too much water. After the first, right, they say that after the first winter, if you're if you've used those plants and you live in that area, after you've planted them after the first winter and they've been well watered in and they survive the next summer, then you shouldn't need irrigation at all for those plants. That's why we like to use them um, on verges and, um, um, you know, in people's gardens where they perhaps are not going to be able to water them so much. Yes. Well, thank you very much for your help. You're very welcome, Lots of information there for you, Jane. Thank you. Thank you Take care. Bye-bye then. Bye-bye for now. There's a saying with gardeners that you're either an overwaterer or an underwaterer. Instinctively, we we lean to one or the other. True. Which one True. are you? Um, I well, I'm generally pretty good. That's why I'm here. <laughs> oh, I don't mind if I do. I'm an overwaterer. I'm well, an over-waterer. you just want to give too much love. I do, and I kill things, <laughs> and it's true. And, and so people I think over-care. when the leaves go yellow mm. that they're not giving it enough water. They're actually giving it too much water That's in right. more times mm. than not. Yeah, I've learned some very hard lessons yeah. in the last 12 months. <laughs> Expensive indoor, lessons. Expensive lessons, yes. I've got a friend who keeps killing uh, ficus um, all the time, the ficus lyrata, ah. and she just keeps on killing it, buys another one, kills, kills it again. Kills it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she's given up now. No, I've got water meters now and I'm trying very, very the hard. The finger works the best. Put finger, your finger good in old the pot finger, or a yeah. chopstick yeah. if you don't want to get yeah. your finger dirty. No, no, I don't mind getting my hands dirty. But, uh, yeah, you've got to be... And, and sort of with some of the plants I've got, though, their requirements are very different. Some like to dry out completely between waterings. Yes. Others like to be kept slightly moist. Others need more water. Some need to be, you know, it's 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 a, well, it's I have a, to it's say, a minefield out there. A few there. things have passed away since while I was... Overseas, I have to tell you. Did they? My family were not too flash on the old watering. Under or over? Uh, under. Under. <laughs> so there you go. Things still do need oh, some yeah, water. yeah, they do need That's water. That's the problem when you go away, isn't it? Even can't even trust your own family. <laughs> <laughs> and they're good. <laughs> and they, yeah, exactly. And they've been trained by you. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. And we're back. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guests in the studio, Tilo Kruger and Andrea Whiteley. Tilo, getting back to you, you were saying off air that you require citizen science to assist you with researching the sun juice. How do they, how do, what can they do? Yes, so this is, um, <laughs> this has been a very significant um, factor in our rec- the recent research that I published in early January where we actually um, described six new species of these sandews. And citizen scientists, like everyday people, just going out with a smartphone into the bush, photographing plants, they have played a, an absolutely crucial role. Without even realising it. Without even realising it. Grief. They just uploaded these photographs to Facebook, for example, oh, or I to see. iNaturalist, um, which yeah. is a citizen science website. We found those images online we realized that there was a new species or a species rediscovered after 170 years. Which is yeah, just mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing, and mm. they made crucial contributions to these very rare species. And do you name the plants after them? Um, mm-hmm. In one case, yes. We oh, won. wonderful. Um, but the, the others, we um, mostly selected names that are that are referring to uh, morphological features, like, for example, if a plant has white flowers um, that are relatively large, you can name it after those features. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, if you want a plant named after you, get out there and find them. Start looking for them. Tread gently. Is it is it mainly in the southwest that they're located, or can we go into our we can go into our bushland in the metro area? Can we find them? Absolutely, you can find them almost everywhere in the southwest where there is natural, um, pristine bushland left, even in tiny little strips of remnant vegetations along the roadside. Yeah, um, you can find them almost everywhere, mostly during the. Um, July to like August period, which is the peak of the wildflower season. That's that's when they are. Yeah, when they are in full growth and best visible. And are they so? Come summer, do they disappear for a while? <laughs> what happens? Well, kind of yes. Um, so we have two large main groups of of sundews around here. Mm-hmm. First of all, we have the tuberous sundews, which have. Um, you know, as the name suggests, a tuber underneath the soil. So it's an underground tuber. And over the hot, dry summer period, they retreat to this underground tuber and you won't find any trace of them during the summer period. The other group are the pygmy sundews, which have a very small, white, tiny stipple, but that keeps some moisture in the middle of the plant and they retreat to um, this tiny little steeple. But so they are very hard to find during the summer period. So you're really targeting people who like to do nature walks and people that go out and enjoy taking photographs of things that they've seen. And they can upload these pictures. You were saying to the uh, site iNaturalist is a great place to yes, this is, post um, your pics. Yes, I'm um, a great advocate of iNaturalist.org. Um, it is um, a citizen science website that allows you to upload photographs of any living thing that you see out in nature. And when you upload the photograph to a naturalist, you can get whatever organism you have observed um, to be identified, yeah. often by experts from the other side of, of the, the road world. who have yeah. waited for decades to see the first photograph of whatever you have just observed. That yeah. is happening very frequently on on a naturalist. Which yeah. is very exciting. Yeah. Yes. That's the whole point of having citizen science. And it's also a great way to contribute biodiversity data um, because you get things, um, because the, these observations made by citizen scientists get uploaded to official biodiversity databases like the Atlas of Living Australia, like um, the Global Biodiversity Information System, um, and theref- thereby informs, for example, conservation efforts of, of the distribution of rare species and how frequently some species are observed and at which time of the year they are observed. Mm. All that is crucial biodiversity data um, that is helped by, um, by by citizen scientists. And and can you or do you keep any of these species at home? You can. Um, you can. And there are many specialized growers who are um, collecting and, and um, growing as many carnivorous plant species as they can. And mm. they have greenhouses full of sundews. Yeah. And, um, it's possible. Unfortunately, they are not readily available, especially here in WA. Mm. Interestingly, there are kind of nurseries in Europe and the US um, where you can buy our WA plants, but not so much here in, in Western Australia for the sundews. Mm. Um, but you can grow them and there are some easy species out there yeah. as well. But we'd also say to people, don't dig them up when no, you see yes. them in the bush. It's no, absolutely crucial. It's, it's illegal um, to mm. dig up any native species here yeah. in WA. 
and um, just keep them there, take photographs, and take enjoy. Take lots of photos. This is yes, what we exactly, want. exactly, yeah. Okay. Yep. Tread gently. All right, guys, we're back out to the lines. We're in Safety Bay. Tanya, how are you? Good morning. How are you? Hello, Tanya. Hi. Um, I can't remember how long ago, I think about three weeks ago, I rang this show regarding my citrus tree, and I was having problems with it, and I was going to shift it and all that sort of stuff. And I was recommended to use iron chelates on it. Yes. Okay, which I did. Yes. And it actually has improved the tree. Very good. Good. I just want to know how often do I apply it? It hasn't got the instructions on the packet. Of how often you should do it. That's because it's a, it's sort of a, it's a tonic for your, it's not something you need to do over and over and over. It's only when the plant needs it. So it's a bit like, um, uh, you know, taking... I don't know some antibiotics as a human. If mm-hmm. if you're sick, then you you would take the take some 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 uh, prescription medication. It's a bit like that. Okay. Um, so if the plant is improving, just keep an yeah. eye on it. If you feel like it's deteriorating again, because in Safety Bay you'll have sand. So you yeah. you really need to keep improving the soil if you want your citrus yeah. to do well. So yeah. um, you need to improve the soil with organic matter. Um, yeah. So things like mature compost, um, adding um, uh, manures and things like that around the base of the plant and watering that in well will really help the health of the tree. And you'll find that you need to then give it less tonics like you've had to do now. Yeah, yeah. Can I use the tonics on garlic and beetroot because I'm having a bit of... They seem to be growing on the top, but there's nothing going on underneath. Uh, I don't think you'd need iron chelates on beetroot. Or garlic? No. No, no. Oh, okay. So oh. it's probably got to do with your soil. What are you adding to the soil for your veggie crops before you plant? Um, well... <laughs> We've got a compost bin which right. is putting that that on it, and we and last time we put rock minerals and manure. Good, good. Um, old manure and that sort of stuff. So yeah. Okay. So, so we're putting a lot on it. Yeah. So yeah, that's fantastic. Good. You've got to remember that the compost that you make yourself, it's uh, composting is actually um, a six-week end-to-end process. So your okay. compost should be um, at the end of it shouldn't be wet or um, it sh- it should it, it has to be heated up to a certain to a certain temperature for it then to be usable in your garden. So if it's wet and uh, that sort of thing, then you need to add more dry matter to it. So like torn up newspaper or straw to make sure that the plants can actually take up all those nutrients. Yeah. Well, we're going going on to compost last week. They had a guest speaker called Kate Floyd. Yes, yes, and we did. She, and she met, she wrote a book. I mm. thought, right, I'm, I went and got one. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, yes, that's right. And <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. it is good to do your research. If you're wanting to make compost at home, it's a fantastic thing to do, but you do need to understand the chemical process that it takes <laughs> to create your own compost to do it properly. <laughs> Yeah, because you watch all these gardening shows and they say, oh, do this, do that. And by the time it gets around to it, you say, hang on, what did they say? Yeah, exactly. You know what, if all else fails, read a book. Yeah, exactly. We're only but human, Tanya. But yeah, you just went and bought yourself the brilliant book. Well done. Oh, it is. It's brilliant. Yeah, so uh, it's beside my chair. (laughs) Excellent. All right, then. 
lovely ladies. Thank you very much. Good luck there, Tanya. Yeah. Take care. Okay. Bye. Okay. okay, bye. And we've got Pauline uh, back online. She's got another quick question for you, Andrea. How are you going? Oh, I'm good. It's pesky Pauline ring. Oh, no, don't say that, Pauline. Give us another one. <laughs> Hit us up. <laughs> I'm really getting my money's worth today, I tell you. Um, look, I just want to ask a couple of things um, about with those pots that I was talking about that have got a Maya lemon in them yes. and also lots of le- lots of limes, that sort of other yes. little one. Yeah. Um, in that there, in the past, I've actually, when I've repotted various things around the place, slightly big pot, big pots, that is, yeah. I've added the, um, you know, the cocoa peat. Uh, you know how you get the bricks? Yes, yep, yep. You could do and, that. You could put uh, that in the bottom. Yeah. I, well, what, what I've done in the past, and I don't know if this right or wrong, but we've put it into... Uh, like a bath, um, a big bath with with water in it, yep. and sea salt and power feed in it. Brilliant. And and put that in that, and then we've mixed it all through the potting mix and things like That's that. That's fantastic. That is really good. Yeah. Now my question is, with my two, um, how much could with because they're pretty big pots, could I use like one brick or can I? I you might even need two bricks. Two bricks, yeah. okay. And and can I ask one other little thing? Of course. Too much? Yeah. My daughter is actually redoing two big garden beds in her back porch area. It, it's like a closed little area. And they're very big garden beds separated, and they're about three metres by four metres. She had some horrible mop tops in them. Oh, yeah. She's got rid of, oh, what a disaster that been. But yeah. anyhow, she's putting in two marayas in the paniculata one in each garden bed. Right. And she's, she's getting um, somebody to come in and put loads of good um, potting mix or whatever it is it is putting in. Yes. Um, but I mentioned to my daughter, look, why don't we suggest to this person that we also do the same with the cocoa peat? Um, you know, getting um, soaking it all up like I've just mentioned. Yeah, you probably mix- don't. If you're using a really, if you're the fellow who's coming in is using a really good quality landscape mix, is different from potting mix. So if you're yes, the so- cocoa peat is really good for pots, but um, if you're putting uh, new soil into the ground, then a good quality landscape mix will do all of those things for you. So it might be a bit overkill, Pauline. Yeah. yeah. What, 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 Andrea, what would it do? So this, uh, my daughter actually mentioned it to this fellow and he said, oh, I've never heard of it, which was surprising. Um, but my understanding is it, all it does is help to retain the moisture Exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly what it does. But you could do the same with using, in a big garden bed, you can do the same with using a really good quality landscape mix and then mulching over the top. It's exactly the same. Mulching over the top. Yeah. So you mulch with a straw mulch over the top. Okay. All right. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So something like lupin or pea straw would be brilliant. Okay, all right. So you you think probably not going down the... Yeah, I think it might be a bit of overkill. Save them for your pots. Okay, lovely, Andrea. Thank you once again. You're You're very welcome. (laughs) Good on you, Pauline.
Thank you. Bye bye. And we do have free lines, 94841927. And don't forget, we do have a Garden Show podcast. Just go to curtainfm.com.au and on the front page there's a drop-down bar where it says programs and you can scroll through all the Let's Talk Gardening programs to your little heart's content and there's lots of good information that you can sit back and replay if you wanted to go across something again. It's so just it's like handy. reading a book. Very much over so. Over and over yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very useful because otherwise all the good information, it's gone, isn't it? Sometimes it can be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, my retention is pretty <laughs> poor, so yeah. <laughs> I need to read things, re- listen and read things and about 20 times, enough. you that's know, as, as you do. All right, so... Let me see. I will be giving away the big... Actually, I think I might do it now because I do see free lines and I just had a look at the time and things are flying along quicker than than we realise. Always does in the garden show. Goes very, very quickly. $75 gift voucher up for grabs from Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. Thanks to our good mate, Kerry. Uh, must be a Curtin FM member not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Now, Kerry tells me that the blossoms are starting to emerge on some fruiting trees, and indeed they are, and also some flowering trees, and the camellias are giving great displays as well. There is a lot happening up there at Bigger Trees. Spring is fast approaching. Uh, she's got some new leucodendrons in this week, along with baronia and some lavender, grevillea. New Blood and Olivaceae. Port wine magnolias, beautiful, and the new supplies of citrus in both small and advanced sizes for you. And also a great range of avocados have arrived. They do deliver across the metro area. That may be of interest to you as well. Now you can learn more, biggertrees.com.au and check out all their options. They have a great Facebook page. Uh, easy to find that one, but Bigger Trees and uh, Keep an eye on that for updates and great pictures and what's what's in that nursery. I was talking to it's someone. It's not too hard to be tempted, really, is it? Never right? too hard to be tempted. And uh, it's an immaculate nursery. It's a fabulous nursery to just stroll around in. It's just so beautifully maintained. Gorgeous. Never seen a nursery so pristine as that one. It's just uh, hats off to Kerry. It's a lot of hard work. Now, here is your question. Hopefully uh, someone will get this. John has been working hard. A bit more trickery for you. From the musical Oklahoma, what smells sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain in Oklahoma? From the musical Oklahoma, what smells sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain in Oklahoma? Give Bev a call now on 94841927. Now, I'm just still dying to hear about some of the things that you saw in the US. Let me tell you about oh, some of the... Now we're talking word. about garden centres. I love the... I, I know the garden centres are just completely different over there. Oh, well, I went to several garden centres while I was there because, you know, what else is a gardener going to do? In, you don't go shopping at big department stores, really. You go to garden centres. I agree. And drool. Um, but we went to two absolutely amazing ones. One is small in Minneapolis and the other one is enormous. I saw a beautiful picture of one. Tangletown. Oh, that's a, yes, oh. that's the one. Oh, my. And yeah. they have, you know, they leave a lot of their plants out, outside the gates, all 
and people oh, don't oh, take them. Nobody steals <laughs> them because mm. the community is so respectful and they just love the fact that this these two guys have created this amazing they, destination. They value it. They value I'm not it. convinced we'd have that here. I know, me neither. Sorry, but I'm But not. sadly, mm. but no, um, it is just outstanding. So that's called Tangletown. But the other one that we went to that was amazing is called Buckman's and it has the... It has a a department store filled with garden-themed goodies, a room after room after room of garden-filled goodies, uh, beside a nursery, beside a an under-glass nursery, beside a tree nursery, beside um, a whole wall of front entrances to give you ideas of what to do with your front entrance. This place is mm. a gardener's dream. Yeah. You couldn't. It was just at the most incredible place I think I've ever been to, yeah. and just there's so many ideas. And what they do because of the short seasons, they prepare pots for your garden, so you can just go in and buy a giant terracotta container or any other container that's already all planted out that has got the thriller, it's got the spiller and it's got the filler, all in it looking gorgeous. You can go and buy two, plop them at your front door and it's all done and dusted for you. And they do that in any pot that you want. They have them all prepared. They've got hanging baskets all prepared and overflowing with gorgeous annual colour. Um, why, aren't, why aren't we doing things like that in Australia? Well, you what know, is wrong with us? It just takes someone to do it. it does. Just get on and do it. Get some growers involved in doing things like that. Yeah. But as I said before, I think there's a lot of um, shopkeepers in Perth that could be adding so much value to their to their pl- establishments by yeah. putting up some pots of potter colour. That's not even expensive to do it. No, not at all. And it will make people come to your shop. Yeah. I know when I was in Europe, we do have to go to a break. Uh, the garden centres over there were mind-blowing. You could even have a glass of champagne. Oh, these, this Honestly, one that I'm talking be... about had a cafe, with yeah. a fully licensed cafe yeah. with a bakery in it. This place was unbelievable. It's called oh, Buckman's. Yeah. If anyone wants to look it up on the website. Wander around looking at plants with a glass of champagne. Oh, it took me hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're back, guaranteed to spend more. Oh, okay, Absolutely. we'll return in a moment. Now, we do have a winner for our prize, Barbara of Willington. I'll give you the answer to the uh, little tricky quiz on the other side of this. Curtain Radio. And you're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain FM 100.1. We've got about 15 minutes left of the program. My special guests in the studio, Tillo Kruger and Andrea Whiteley in the studio with us this morning. And we've had a really interesting morning and we're sort of a sort of fairly cross board chat. Very diverse. All right, let's head straight to Beach Bar. Jenny, good morning. Yeah, hi. How are you going? Good morning, really well. Jenny. Good. Um, I've got a lovely. Well, it was a lovely uh, tractor seat plant in the in the ground, and for the last couple of years, it's been eaten by no caterpillars because I've been pulling them off mm. and hoping they're not butterflies. But um, is there anything? We've tried everything possible, I think, to try and stop the caterpillars, but they still keep eating it away and it's a tough plant. So have you tried ideas? have you tried dipel? No, that's one I haven't tried. Okay, it's called so it's caterpillar called killer. D I P E L. 
yeah. And it acts on the um, gut. um, It sort of... uh, explodes the gut of the caterpillar really um, noise yeah. <laughs> and um but what it does is it means that if a bird comes and eats the cat- caterpillar it won't affect the bird so it doesn't affect the food chain so um whilst you know finger and thumb and removing the caterpillar is probably a better idea but probably um and you it probably is a butterfly that you're destroying, but oh. and, <laughs> but if you want to look after that tractor seat plant, you're probably going to have to spray it with some Dipel. Okay, all right, I'll give that a go then. Okay, give it a try. Okay. Yeah, or you okay. could also try some tomato dust. Also works well. I've, I've tried that. Okay. We've had the dust all, all over everything. Okay, we'll we've try even, the Dipel. Even had the, we've even had the rats around. Every time I go and buying new seedlings um, of veggies. In come the rats, and um, although we have caught the rats and things are going going pretty well at the yeah. moment, but they've been eating the whole heads off cauliflowers and everything, you uh, know. It's so, a know. challenge, isn't it, Jenny? Just a challenge all the time. It's a challenge, all right, I yeah, know. especially when you're trying to do do the best you can, you and know. Do the right but, thing as well, grow your own food. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thanks for the show. Good, Good one luck with take. that. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Thanks. Okay. And my answer to our quiz, the question was from the musical Oklahoma, what smells sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain in Oklahoma? The answer is the waving wheat. Uh, Very clever. Barbara of Williton. Good on you. $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees on its way to you this week. Let us know what you do with it. All right. I think we had Jane on a little earlier, didn't we, from Manning? I think. Jane, hello. Yes, you did. You did. You're back. You talking, I'm back, yes. I heard you talking, I think it was to Pauline, about putting something in. I want to repot my lemon tree, and you said to put something at the bottom of it. I'm so um, what it she was talking about is a block, and it's called a cocoa peat block. And what you do is you, you buy the block, and you um, it's sort of... Uh, dry, and then you soak it in some um, fish emulsion and water until it swells right up, and then you pop it in the bottom and then put the potting mix on top. Oh, right. And should you put anything else into the um, mix? No, you you don't have to. No, that's sufficient. No, no. All right, then. Well, thank you for that. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Jane. It just makes the potting mix go a bit further as well. And you can mix it all up together in a wheelbarrow and then put it into the pot. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good on you, Jane. Have a lovely day. With the potting mix, you mean? Or, or you can mix it with it. Once you've soaked it, then you mix it in with the potting mix. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers, Jane. Thank so you, well. doll. Bye. And, uh, okay, got a break coming up in a couple of minutes. But just quickly, uh, Tillo, we were talking off air as well about the issues that can happen with uh, fires and the damage that they can do. Yes. to the sun Jews. Yes, so <clears throat> this is a very complex story because obviously yeah. these plants have evolved over millions of years to withstand natural occurring fires. Mm. Um, but in recent years with the drying climate and the increased temperatures and the increased intensity mm. of these wildfires, um, there have been some species um, that have likely been negatively affected by, by those. And again, there, there are strong differences how these species respond. Some are producing an underground tuber and they actually benefit from fire 
because they are protected by their underground tuber and they come up yeah, after fire yeah, and yeah. flower on mass even. Mm. But other species, especially the small, what's called a pygmy sundews, they are very strongly affected by, by fire and often rely on soil seed bank, um, seeds stored in the soil to come back after fire and can take many years to build up the soil seed bank. And if the mm. fire frequency or the intensity increases beyond a certain point, it can really devastate um, these populations. Yeah, yeah. What so can we do? There's some, it's sometimes well, it's out of our hands, isn't well, it? Well, you look at what's just happened in Hawaii I over know. this last weekend and mm, the island of Maui, and they've lost just all of their um, all of their plant material. And that top level of soil has just been obliterated. So, um, a lot of the species, if that was to happen here, would also be decimated, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then you end up with an imbalance in the species if you have too many yes. of one type and not enough of the other. Exactly. It just changes the species compositions um, when you have such a changing um, fire regime that we, as we have here in the southwest. Mm. And so we need to do everything that we can to not allow fires to take over well, our Well, at, at least have a patchy fire regime of, of low-intensity burns um, at a at varying intervals, that's yeah, kind of um, managing important it. point. And those yes. cool burns are yeah. very yes, important, exactly. aren't they? So uh, we can learn a lot from um, our Indigenous people and exactly. how they did cool burning, um, which was so effective uh, thousands of years before we came onto this land, um, and we could learn a lot from them about their cool burning. Yes, exactly. That's a very good point. Until how long do you finish your doctorate? <clears throat> so officially I will finish it in 2025. Mm. So I still have a couple of years um, to go. Um, Fascinating. Looking very much forward to getting all the research um, done. And uh, yeah. Well, isn't it amazing that you've been able to turn your interest and your hobby yes. into your life career? Yes. And what a career it is is and going to continue to be just a, you're just a young fellow yeah <laughs> yeah i'm still relatively young but i'm absolutely into these carnivorous plants and mm. again that's the whole reason i'm actually here in western australia yeah. and not in my home country in yeah, germany exactly that passionate about it yes no well done you okay Thanks. guys we'll return in a moment and we are back. A few minutes to go of Let's Talk Gardening and then Jim Crinan will join you with the classic 70s. All right, just very, very quickly. The, today's program was sponsored by Garden in a Bag. Buy 10 bags and get another bag for free, including the delivery. Wowee. Free is better than cheap. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, now we've just had a couple of comments come in. Maggie of Mandra says caterpillars on the tractor seat plant go out at night with a torch as caterpillars hide in the soil during the day and they come out at night. Yes. And Trisha Rivervale heard on our show a few years ago that a weak solution of fish emulsion can help keep the caterpillars off the plants. I think it's to do with the smell. I'm just wondering if it was caterpillars that we were talking about. I think the product, Charlie Carp, I think we were talking about, well, has some deterrent. Yeah, has yeah. some deterrents in it. Yeah. For I thought it might have been grasshoppers actually. But anyway, okay. No, Trish's memory I would be far greater than mine, I have absolutely no doubt. But that just sort of led us uh, on to another discussion about pollinators and yeah. um, talking to people in the US, everything that they do in their gardens is focused on encouraging pollinators into the garden and how yeah. and butterflies and birds and uh, bees and encouraging diversity of insects into the garden. And so... Um, you know, trying to uh, 
you know, kill things is probably not the best idea. When you know, if you can reduce the population so that your plant still survives, but we actually want those caterpillars to to come, you know, to go through their life cycle and produce moths or butterflies so that then they go off and become pollinators. So uh, we don't necessarily need to kill everything. Mm. We need to just sort of keep the population at bay and going out with a torch is a really good option, you know, mm. and it's a fun mm. thing to do with a head torch. <laughs> you never know what you might in find. In your spare time at night, absolutely. We're in Myrie. Ross, good morning. Oh, yes, friend. Uh, with regards to your rat, um, woman complained, one of your listeners talking about rats. One of the best ways to attract rats to your pellets, which quite often rats don't like, is to mix them with the crunchy peanut paste. It's um, picked it up from an SDS program of a guy that does the sewers in New York. He said they cannot resist peanuts or peanut paste. So if you have trouble attracting rats, and you really want to get rid of them, mix your pellets with crunchy peanut paste. How about that? That's a good tip. Why not? So, make, yeah, but make sure you wear gloves. Pardon? And make sure you wear gloves and wash your hands afterwards. Very important. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah <laughs> mix it with a spoon. But, yeah, good uh, idea. And the rats can't resist it. They no. Quite often, so it's a good way to bait them. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, husband yeah. uses a little bit of French, French cheap brandy. With well, the rat sack. Really? Yes. And oh. they go for that? Oh, they love it. Good grief. And they die happy. <laughs> <laughs> Most important. Ross, thank the you. Only, yeah. the, 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 the only thing you've got to remember is when you go down there, they're very wise. Rats are wise. Wiser than a lot of other things. And uh, yeah. they will actually lick the peanut paste off the pellets and leave the pellets. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Smart, aren't they? Have a good weekend, guys. Thanks, you Ross. too. Thanks, Ross. Weekend. Cheers. Okay, time for us to wrap up. Got a couple of minutes left. Andrea, anything that you'd like to add? Or? I would like to encourage everybody to get yeah. out into the garden centre and buy a plant that's in flower right now. <laughs> Put it in a pot and just sit back and love it. And enjoy it. Good on you. And, you know, you don't have to tell me to do that twice, <laughs> as you already know. Tillo, it's been a joy to have you in the studio. We wish you uh, every every luck in going forward with uh, the achievements that you're now accomplishing. accomplishing. I can't get the word out. It's one of those <laughs> mornings. Forgive me, everybody. Yeah, it's. Uh, we'll obviously have you back. We want to keep in touch with you. And any time that you have some information that you would like to feed through to our listeners, don't feel afraid to make contact with Faye and I. And we can certainly either pass that information on. We can have a phone chat with you. Anything new to you know, look after our our precious sun juice. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh no, you've been a delight. Such a polite oh, young man. He's German, of course he is. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and a big, big thank you to Bev Daring, of course. Lovely to have it back. And our very own John Glidden. So thank you both, you two. Appreciate very much. We have Jim Crine and standing by with the classic 70s. I shall leave you with our gardenism for the morning, which is the garden reconciles human art and wild nature hard work and deep pleasure, spiritual practice and the material world. It is a magical place because it is not divided. Have to think about that one. Next week, Linda and Paul Michener are going to be in the chair. They will be the special guests of the morning. Do support them. Look after yourselves, everyone. Enjoy this nice weather. It is great gardening weather. Take care. Keep warm. 
all of that. Happy gardening, everyone. Thank you for your company. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.